Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I don't know, Mark, do we have the NLT version of that, verse 18? There we go. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach on the subject, dirty mirrors and veiled faces. When you experience the glory of God, there is a difference. There is a difference between someone who knows Jesus and a between a person who does not know Jesus. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, that when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, they noticed that his face shone brightly. After he saw the glory, there was a physical, visible difference in his character and who he was. They looked at Moses and knew something had changed. The Bible says in Acts 9, 21, when Paul... Saul previously, the apostle, was, was radically saved on the, on the road to Damascus. Saul doesn't waste any time, doesn't even, doesn't even ask permission from anybody, but starts preaching and convincing and reasoning with people that Jesus is the Christ. And the response of the, of the crowd was, is not this the same Paul who destroyed those who proclaimed this name in all of Jerusalem? And so to answer that question, no, it was not the same Paul. Because this new Paul had experienced the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Peter was being questioned, or when Jesus was being questioned, that a little servant girl, someone who had no business knowing who Peter was, came up to him and said, you look familiar. I recognize you as being with Jesus And I know I would love to wait until the end of this message to explain it to you, but there is no glory if there is no difference. If there is no difference in your life when you experience the Lord Jesus Christ, there is, if if there is no difference, you never experience him in the first place. It's time we stop coming into church and saying, God, show me your glory and leave in the same way we walked in. This is not time to play around with who God is, his nature. Just because you're young doesn't give you an excuse to waste time and and, and, and to just give lip service to God. But if you say, show me your glory, there better be a difference about you. The world didn't have to guess if Paul knew Jesus. The world didn't have to guess if, if, if Peter was a disciple, but they knew because they carried something. They, they were different. They just stuck out like a sore thumb. But, it, but, 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 but it's something different about someone who's been with Jesus. I didn't have to explain to my friends after I left camp when I got saved 
that something was different. They knew that because I wasn't doing the things that I used to, something must have happened to this kid. It's time we stop playing around with the glory. We can say, show me your glory, show me your glory. God, I want to experience your glory. But we come in and leave the same way, almost like we're leaving work. We just clock in and clock out. Nobody's any different. No one's getting saved. No one's moving under the power of God. But if we ever get the chance to mean what we say, we'll be altered at the altar. Praise God. Praise God. The verse that, 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 that we read the start of it said, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses. Now, I used to think about Moses' story is that he was just, you know, he, he was so righteous because of this experience that he couldn't hang around regular people. And that's, that, that, that'd be really easy to go down a path and explain that from Scripture and try to point to you that once you get saved, you're just high and mighty and you don't ever have to witness to anybody. You don't ever have to reveal the effect of salvation in your life and, 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 and just be on your highway to, and, and to salvation into heaven without ever doing anything for the Lord. But can I tell you, Moses was in the wrong here. The writer of Corinthians, Paul, even, even critiques it. He says, unlike Moses, this is different. This is different than what Moses did. We're not like that. We're doing something different. Moses said, please, Lord. He begged, show me your glory. And because Moses couldn't experience the true nature of who God was, he had to hide him in a cleft of the rock, and all he looked at was the backside of God. Because if he looked at the front side, he would die right there. The glory of God is not some cloud falling down like, like, like some people do with glitter and, and try to pump up the moment. The glory of the Lord is not something that you just play around with, that you come around and throw around some words in a song, and, 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 and it's that. The glory of the Lord is God revealing who he is to a, to a fleshly human. And, 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 and the weight of who he is immediately causes me, I have to be like that. The revelation of Jesus Christ tells me that I need to be more like him. When you see God, it is a call to action on your character. Because if you've seen it, you must act on it. If God is gracious, I must be gracious. If God is love, like, the, like, like, like John the Beloved said so many times in his, in his letters to the church, to his church, he said, he said, God is love. If God is love, I must love. The glory needs to change you. It doesn't change. Uh, um, it, it, it's not gonna. It, it's not gonna just come down and just go right back up with no difference. The glory of the Lord comes to change us, just like it did Moses. And so Moses begs God, "Please show me your glory." You have to know. You better know what you're asking for when you ask God, "Show me your glory." We don't just come up on stage and say, "God, show me your glory." And, and, and our minds are going to what we're doing the next day at school. Our minds are going to what we're doing this weekend. Our minds are going to, 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 to texting our girlfriend or checking, checking Instagram or, or Facebook or making sure that, that things are caught up and, and all these distractions. When you say, God, show me your glory, your mind better be blank because he's infinite and eternal. His characteristics are forever. So if, if, I've, got, if I've got distractions, I don't have enough time to realize and fixate on who he is and be changed. When I say show me your glory, what I'm asking for is show me who I need to be. 
Show me how I can how I can be more like you. Show me how I can be different. Change me, God. Change me. Too many times we throw around the word glory and nothing ever happens. No wonder the world's confused about who has the power. No wonder the world's confused about which church to go to. Because we throw around words like glory and holy and righteous, but there's never a connection to a person. There's never a connection to me. So people are wondering, is this just a word from Webster's Dictionary? But no, friend, if you ever get to the bottom of show me your glory and an innocent pleading with God, you say, God, change me. Change me, God. Change me. That's what Moses was asking for. We do not alter the glory of God. The glory alters us. It changes us. For example, the prophet Isaiah, when he saw the glory of the Lord and his train filled the temple, his response wasn't, wow, isn't that something? No, the prophet Isaiah saw God, and he saw him high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He didn't sit around cross-legged and stiff-armed and say, isn't that something? No, Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, which tells me he saw something holier than he was that demanded him to be holy as he is holy. If you're going to say, show me your glory, I better, be, I better see an effect on your life or you didn't mean it. Don't expect, don't expect to go in one way and stay the same. Woe is me, for I am undone. My humanity's undone. Who I am is undone. Caleb is undone. I'm, I'm pulled apart. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm face to face with my, with my worthlessness. I'm face to face with who I am in the flesh. I'm face to face with God, holy and righteous. And I know that I'll never be like him. But I said, God, change me. Praise God. And then we get to Exodus chapter 34. And it says, but when Moses, whenever he went in before the Lord in the tabernacle, Moses took the veil off. But when he left, he put it back on. The glory caused the children of Israel to be scared. They said, oh, that scares me. It, it disturbed them. It created a stir because they saw one man who looked different than them because he, they knew that he had been with God. And because they saw the difference than what they were living. It created a stir amongst our culture and it raised the standard saying, uh, I don't want Moses to look like that because if God did that to Moses, then he must want to do it to me. He, wants, he must want me to be changed. He must want me to be different. But what Moses did was he covered up the glory. He covered up the effect of the glory whenever he got around people. Moses didn't want to create a stir. Isn't that just like some of you? You've had a change in your life. You come to Impact, or you go to conference, and you go to Barberville Youth Camp, or wherever you go and experience God, and experience His glory, and are saved, that as soon as we leave that secret place, as soon as we leave that holy moment, we put a veil over our face, and no one can tell if we've been with Jesus or not, but we've came to a place and said, God, show me your glory. But as soon as we leave, it's back up, and I don't know who I am. Moses decided, I don't want to create a stir. I just want things to be the way that they are. That is not the, 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 the reaction that the glory imposes. The glory requires difference. The glory requires you to be changed, to be something different, to be more like God. If what, ha if, if what is done in you on a Wednesday is not revealed on you at school or in your family on a Thursday, nothing actually happened. All you're doing is veiling up what God has done. 
You're veiling up the change that he's done in your life. Moses revealed the glory of the Lord, the effect of the glory, only when it was convenient for him. Only when it made sense. We come into church and this is like the perfect place to just take our veils off and show everybody how holy we are and walk around and try to dictate the move of God because we have some experience. But as soon as we leave church people, as soon as we leave our, 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 our friends that know of, of Jesus, as soon as we leave, up comes the veil. When I go to my home and I walk around my parents, up goes the veil. Your parents ask you, how was impact tonight? And you're just like, eh, it was all right. But yet at church, something happened. But when you go home, nothing happened. Uh-oh. Your parents are questioning, hey, how was impact? You're just walking around. Yeah, it was all right. I hung out with my friends. But at impact, you were jumping around. You were at the altar saying, God, changed me. But then you get home and nothing changed. Do you understand that this ministry is not so you can come in and act religious, but it's so that you can come and receive something that you can give to somebody else? Moses would have saved the children of Israel a whole lot of trouble had he just told them, this is what happens when you see God. Take it off. Quit acting religious. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand where the whole room can see it. And the whole room is full of light. And then Jesus followed it up by saying, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. What do we do when walking around with the veil over our face after we've been in a powerful impact service, after we've experienced and felt the power of God? What's the point, I may ask you? What's the point of coming here and burning calories if no one's ever going to be, 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 be pressed, be pushed, saying this is God? What's the point? What's the point if it never leaves that altar and goes home with you? Some of you have been praying for your family members to be saved so long you can't even remember it. But you come in here, get touched, and walk out, and nothing ever happened. While your family members don't know who Jesus is, you're, 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 you're claiming to know him in church. But as soon as you leave here, it's just back. Back to being the same. Back to being, back to being you, who you are. And back to being, you know, I'm just cool with sitting on the sideline. I'm just cool. Impact's pretty nice, yeah. I like seeing out my friends and, 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 and hanging out and going to all the events and stuff. Your family's going to hell while you were taking it as, as a joke. If you ever decided to take that veil off, if you ever decided to show what God's done in your life, maybe you would see an influx of people come in here. You think Jesus is going to come down, carnate in flesh again, walk through those doors, go to Simon Kenton, go into CCA, go into Scott, go into Cooper and Connor and say, come, I'm Jesus. No, but what he's going to do is he's going to put, he's going to, uh, <laughs> he's going to put some mirrors in there. He's going to put some mirrors. He's going to put some people who are not afraid to prostrate themselves in front of him and saying, reflect off me. Glory to your name, Jesus. Mark chapter 5 hits us with something that really tests our, our religion. Because we, we only like God using people that make sense. People that can wear a suit. People that can be, be, be illustrious. People that, can, people that look the part and have the pedigree. But what does Jesus do? He crosses a river in the Gentile country where they're selling pigs. Jesus saves a man that was possessed by legion. A thousand demons possessed this man. Jesus delivers him. The man comes up to Jesus. What does he say? 
Do not forbid me to come with you, Jesus. He wanted to be a disciple. But Jesus saw something different. He said, if you go with me, the next three years, your, your story, your testimony is going to be bottled up. But right now, I have saved you strategically. I have saved you geographically right where I want you. Go and evangelize this country. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that this man who was demon-possessed became a revivalist and changed the whole city. Your physical proximity to Jesus, being at church, does not equate to spiritual proximity. That man could have been on the boat with Jesus, but miles away. But instead, he was all by himself, telling what God had done. Telling about this man named Jesus, and how he used to cut himself, and how he used to be in tombs naked. But now he's saying, look what Jesus has done. I don't have to be with him to say his name and tell him who he is. And the Bible says, all marveled. All marveled. Why do we conceal the glory? Three things. I'm sure there's more. But what the Lord gave me was three things. Number one, intimidation. Intimidation. Intimidation keeps the veil down. You're afraid of what your friends will think of you. You're afraid of the difference that it will cause in your school because it's going to challenge some people. And let me tell you, you just don't go living the Christian life, knocking on hell's door, kicking it down, taking territory, and not be opposed. But what did Peter and the early church say in Acts chapter 4? He said, now, Lord, Lord, you know their threats. Look upon their threats. Don't tell me to quit. Don't knock me out. Don't take me out, Brother Cody. But grant unto me boldness that with all authority... I may speak your name despite the threat, despite the opposition. God doesn't want to get you out of there. He wants to say, show my glory and take the veil off. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Intimidation. We're too scared because of what it'll do. Now, second, the spirit of religion. We've got a bunch of Holy Ghost detectives in the church of God, in, in, in the body of Christ today. Trying to dictate what's the move of God, who's in the spirit, who's, whose tongues are real, whose shout is legit, if they're sore or not after they've done it. We've got a bunch of Holy Ghost regulators trying to determine what's a move of God at night. But let me tell you something. If maybe we put our nose out of other people's shout and their tongues, we might be able to get a hold of God ourselves. <laughs> Glory to your name, Jesus. While you're doing that, they're getting victory. While you're doing that, they're getting a breakthrough. While you're doing that, little Josh Grayson, who was shouting his tail end off the other night at church, got my God, I've never seen anything like that in my life. While he's sitting there dancing, 30 people around just looking at him. This isn't prom. This isn't a dance circle. This is time to get in and show the world the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, I'm not going to let Josh out on his own. I'm not going to let Josh experience God on his own. There's too many people on the line. Praise God. Woo! Why would I hold back something that's got the power to save someone? Woo! The last, some of you might not, like the, might not like this one. It's called apathy. Everybody say apathy. Apathy conceals the glory of God. You're in church. You're just sitting there while everybody else is, 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 is getting into the move of God. You're just sitting there thinking, I don't have to be a part of this to be saved. Well, God bless your heart. You don't. But if you want breakthrough, if you want to experience the freedom of the Lord, step out of your apathy and say, God, I am concerned about this state of the world. And I'm not going to sit by while someone else shouts my shout and dances my dance. 
Woo! Praise God. Woo! My goodness. Apathy is a lack of interest, concern, enthusiasm. My God, if this is not this generation, wanting somebody else to do it, being, being okay with watching church on YouTube, praise God. Praise God. Well, when I feel the need to pray for somebody, I can either walk five feet or I can turn off the laptop, get rid of the, the distractions and sit there. But you don't know what's going to happen if you're in the church. You know, the Bible says in, in, in Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves as some do, even more as the day draws near. That's not a scripture meant to beat you up about not going to church. That's a scripture telling you, you have a gifting, you have a calling that somebody in the body of the Christ needs. I'm not going to guess as to whether or not they're there at church on Sunday because they refuse to be in the building. Praise God. Apathy. Jesus convicted the, the, the church in Thyatira. or the I, I forget what church it is, but it's in Revelation chapter 3. The lukewarm church. That's what a, being apathetic is. It's being lukewarm. God doesn't know how to, how to deal with you because you're not hot or cold. If he was cold, he could warm you up. If you were warm, he could freeze you down. But he doesn't know how to deal with you because you're just apathetic. You're just crossing your arms, looking all frustrated, trying to just, just, just being there is, is, is okay with you. Just checking a box is okay with you. God has not called us to be apathetic, but if we're going to be the generation to carry up this word and to evangelize the nations and fulfill the great commission you might want to stop being apathetic and sympathetic towards the souls that are going to hell glory to your name Jesus take off the veil so the glory of the Lord can be revealed to the nations praise God and then we get to our last scripture verse 18 it says, but we with all with unveiled face. Something different happened there. Somebody took the veil off. But we all with unveiled face. There's not a single person with the veil on. There's not a single person like Moses who's like, this is just me and God only. This is just me and him. This is, you know, they can't handle what I've got. Well, God bless your heart. If you ever let it get out to touch somebody, you'd find out that they can handle it all well. But we are with unveiled face. I see him, Cody. I see him as he is. I see his face. Moses didn't know who this glory was referring to. The people, the Jews right now, the Mosaic Jews who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah are reading that verse where Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me who you are, God. And, and, and they're all, you know, they're still huddled up wondering, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who is this person that, 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 that's revealing their glory to Moses? But we know he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the veil off and show the world who he is. There's no guesswork anymore as to who it was. But I know because I saw his face. And he's revealed himself to me. I like the imagery that Paul uses. Beholding as in a mirror. I'm looking at something as if I'm a mirror. And it's reflecting off of me. God's purpose is for us to reflect the image of his son. So that the world may know who Jesus is. We become what we behold. What you're looking at is what you're going to look like. If you look at something too long you'll start to. You'll start to follow after it. You'll start to implement it into your life. You'll start to let it identify you. You identify what you look at. When I was a kid, I identified myself with superheroes because I, just, I was drawn towards it. I looked at it so much, I saw myself in the story. You ever read a book where you're like, there I am. 
or watch a movie. There I am. That's me. Some of you might not be the main character, even though you think you are. But praise God. What you look at, you start to identify yourself with. What you look at, you start to become slowly but surely. You start to dress like them, talk like them, look like them, say the same things as them, go to the same places, because that's all you know. That's all you're looking at. So they are projecting their self on you, whether you like it or not. What you look at on the outside determines what you look like on the inside. Matthew 6, 22-23, Jesus said, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is bad, how great is that darkness? What you look at determines what's going on on the inside. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eye not to look at a young woman with lust. David said, turn turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. There's a lot of scripture telling you where to look your eyes, telling you what to look at, telling you what to steer away from. Because he knows, God knows, the Holy Spirit knows that what we look at determines what we look like on the inside. And what's on the outside is not going to heaven. But what's going on the inside is going to last for eternity. And I don't want what's going to last for eternity to look dark and disgusting, praise God. Praise God. The imagery of a mirror is is pretty interesting to me because a mirror reflects what it's in front of. What you put yourself in front of is what you're going to reflect. Think about that for a moment. On my way here, I looked out the wind, I, I looked in the rearview mirror as I was shifting or as I was making a left or or as my wife was was turning or or she turned the turn signal and together left I looked at the 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 mirror the side door mirror and there's a little wording there's a little sentence on that mirror it says the object in the mirror is closer than it appears and I thought well isn't that something the mirror is reflecting something that looks a, a little far off but in reality it's a lot closer than what it's actually showing There are times in your life where it's not going to look like God is all that close. In your mirror, you may see him off in the corner. And the devil may try to tell you he's over there. He's too far. But can I tell you, in your darkest moments, in the moments where it seems like all hope is lost and God is nowhere to be found, the object in the mirror is as close, is closer than it appears, praise God. As long as he's in the mirror. Because the opposite is true as well. If you're flirting with sin and you see it creeping up in the mirror, uh oh, there it is, there it is. What it looks like in the mirror is that it's farther away. But what you don't realize is it's closer. The more you look at it, the closer it gets. Praise God. The object in the mirror is closer than it appears. And, and, and the thing about mirrors is it's a clean slate when you first, if you were to first make a mirror, it's a clean slate. There's no obstruction in the reflection. There's nothing hindering the image that it's prostrating up against, that it's reflecting from being reflected to whoever looks at it. There's nothing obstructing it. But when we as mirrors beholding the image, the glory of the Lord, when we behold that image and specks get on our mirrors of our lives, dirt, filth, just, just smudge. Faith hates it when I brush my teeth because in the mirror it gets really dirty because toothpaste is flying, toothpaste is just flying everywhere. And the mirror gets dirty. If that mirror is dirty, what's being reflected is not a true image of what it actually is. It's 99% the image, but it's not 100%. There's something blocking the true character of that image from being revealed to whoever looks at it. So when the world looks at you, 
professing to be a Christian, claiming to know Jesus, claiming to be changed by his glory, but they see no difference. They see you drinking on the weekends. They see you cussing. They see you hating your neighbor and talking bad about people. Up comes the dirt. Up comes the filth on your mirror. And the people that look at you are never going to know who Jesus truly is because you've obstructed the reflection of who he is. I'm not going to let my attitude obstruct somebody's salvation. I'm not saying you're responsible for souls to be saved, but I'm saying that you are responsible for carrying the image of Christ and portraying him to a world. I'm telling you, the more your your mirror gets dirty and filthy, the more people are going to know that nothing's actually different about who you are and the less they're going to know about Jesus. Why would you let words, words hinder somebody's knowledge of who Jesus is? Why would you let your thoughts, your thoughts hinder somebody from knowing who Jesus is? Your actions, the filth that you're throwing up on your mirror. And, 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 and I'm sorry if this sounds like a perfection doctrine because it's not. Because the next verse gives us the key. Which is we are being transformed from glory to glory. Every time I experience him, I am being transformed into more of who he is. I may be dirty right now, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. There may be a little dirt up, but all I have to say, because the scripture tells us that this happens just as by the spirit of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit gets in you, he refines you, and then he replicates it into your life, and then he reflects it to the world. If you don't let the Holy Spirit refine you and then replicate that, he will never be able to reflect it to the world. What's hindering your friend group from knowing who Jesus is? What's hindering your family from looking at you and thinking what a difference God has made in their life and seeing the evidence of a resurrected, saved life? What is hindering your friends and your friend group from knowing that something has happened to you because they're not going to go into your room, open up your closet, find your Bible and say, have you been reading this? No, but what they're going to say, just like Paul, that you are epistles written and read by all men. Praise God. I might not be there to tell you, but what you are, they may never read the the Bible but just like Paul said you are an epistle read by all men when they look at you they're going to read what God's done they're going to see the overcoming testimony and they're going to know that there is a God who saves this is not a perfected doctrine this is a transformed doctrine I may not be perfect but my God is helping me to be transformed like a <clears throat> the word transformed is the word metamorphosis or metamorpho the same way we get the word metamorphosis. And when you think of that, a dirty, disgusting caterpillar, a nasty-looking worm, but as it metamorphoses, as it changes, as it's being transformed, out, out, of, out of that cocoon comes a beautiful butterfly. I may not be all that I need to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. I may not be a perfect image of Christ, but my God, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not addicted anymore. I'm not a pothead anymore. I don't cuss anymore. I don't, I don't talk about my neighbors. I don't have a bad attitude because I know that I'm being transformed. Just as by the Spirit of God. This is nothing you wake up and decide to do. This is a ministry, a work of the Holy Ghost. You cannot do it on your own. I wish I, wish I could hand you some, some sanitizer, some Windex, and you go all over your mirror and clean it till it's spotless. 
but that's never going to be in your hands. That bottle is never going to be in your hands. That sanctifying power is never going to be in your hands. But what did Jesus say? Sanctify them by your truth. Truth is who God is. When I know who God is, he sanctifies me. When I say, God, change me and show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. So someone can be saved. So I can reflect to the world who you are. As a savior, as a lover of my soul, as somebody who came in in my darkest of nights when no one wanted anything to do with me, let the world see that in me. Let the lamb receive his reward in me. Let God receive his reward in me, not because I'm up here preaching, not because of my gifts and talents, but because I let him reflect off of me. All you have to do is just say yes. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for your availability. Will you prop your mirror up and let the Holy Ghost clean you up and sanctify you so you can reflect Jesus to a lost and dying world? There are people who, are, who, who, who want to know Jesus but don't know him. You could be the very person to be set up right in front of them, reflecting Jesus and showing them who they are. And as soon as they see it, you think they're just going to smash your mirror. You think that they're just going to just kick you over and beat you up. But no, with it, every soul that has ever walked this earth wants a Savior. They just find it in different things. They have different outlets. They have jobs. They have busy lives. They have, they have alcohol. They have marijuana. They have drugs. They have heroin. They have friend groups. They have relationships. But no soul wants to die without assurance of what's after this. No soul, no person walks this world saying, I never want to be saved. Every person is born with an innate hole in their chest where only God can fill. Be a mirror. Take the veil off of your eyes. Don't be ashamed. Don't be intimidated. Don't let the spirit of religion try to dictate what is a move of God because it's hindering somebody from seeing who God is. This is uh, thinking about the theme of the church, not a time to limit God. I started to think, and as I was praying, I felt impressed that this is not a time to limit God's glory. You never know what someone on the other side, when, 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 when Pastor Tom says that there's 40,000 people watching right now, what if you're the person who God works through and reflects across the, the internet, the countries, states, and they're blessed because you were willing to take off the veil and let your mirror be clean so someone can see who Jesus is. Eyes are on this generation. That's why Jesus encourages them. Don't, don't hinder these children from coming to me. Don't limit them. Because my power working through them can bring about revival to the nations. Pastor Tom says all the time that the young people used to, 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 to be the church. They used to, to, to energize the whole church. Could you imagine the move of God? And I'm not saying you have to feel the Holy Ghost to move your feet. And I'm not saying that you have to just, just God come down and tell you to run the aisles to run the aisles. Sometimes I do that out of praise to Him. But through my obedience, God can bring about souls. World-changing moves of God. Because Samir has decided to stay clean and take off the veil and let the world see Jesus for who He is. As we close tonight, I want to give you a thought. I used to see on TV or just, uh, it's a pretty stereotypical thing to see 
in a fair and a carnival, a big old building just like this, but mirrors everywhere reflect at different angles, different positions. They called it a hall of mirrors or whatever it was. And the issue with that was everything was reflecting in a different angle. It was never facing the same exact thing. So when people tried to walk through it, they'd bump into it. They'd make a left, they'd bump into it because everything is reflecting something different. No one can get their way through because everything is facing a different direction. But could you imagine the, sin, the souls, the salvations, the move of God we'd see if everybody would stop looking at each other with angry, with, with, with angry thoughts and being mad at each other and reflecting and saying, I'm not looking that way. I'm not doing this. But we are reflected to Jesus Christ. How many people would see him for who he is? This is not a hall of mirrors. This is a big old circle with Jesus in the center. And we're reflecting who he is. Each a different angle of who he is. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym. And remember, you can have as much of God as you want.